you know, I meant to say Independence Day, but <laughs> I thought I did. And I saw some of you guys smirking, and I go, what did I say? <laughs> Clearly obvious who needed that extra 30 minutes of sleep this morning. Um, well, I'll get to see all of you here gathered together. What a wonderful day we have planned for everyone, um, where we can spend the day and worship and fellowship in Christ. just want to highlight some of the uh, announcements that Pastor Marcus gave out. What a great opportunity for us to uh, invest this summer in souls and invest in the gospel ministry. encourage you to uh, use this as a kairos opportunity to invite your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, to hear the gospel of Christ and to experience true spiritual freedom, being liberated from the bondage of sin and the tormenting uh, future of death and judgment before God. So encourage everyone to uh, join and partner in the gospel, gospel ministry with all of us. As well, uh, Vacation Bible School is uh, right around the corner as well. It's a great uh, ministry to our little ones. Again, to go to your neighbors, friends, relatives, and have the little ones to come and hear the gospel. So many, I know many churches have BBS this summer, but so many are really man-centered. Uh, they preach a gospel of morality and outward obedience and external righteousness. And that is not, um, they're, they're really just kind of babysitting in a sense and sprinkling on Bible verses. Well, that is not our intention. We want to teach our little ones a high theology, a God-centered perspective about the gospel, about their sinfulness, and about Christ's holiness and the call of salvation. We want to confront each little soul with the truth of the gospel. And so we ask you to partner with us in prayer and partner with us by inviting uh, the little ones that you know uh, to our vacation Bible school. Well, our family, we're busy uh, packing, we're busy getting our house ready. Uh, I, the OC team will be actually spending a week at our home, and that'll be, our, that'll be their home base for outreach in Orange County. Because in less than two weeks, our family, along with eight others, will be heading off to the Czech Republic uh, to partner in the gospel ministry with the Smiths, the Kernels, and the Shims. The major ministry, the bulk of our time. And the real thrust of our ministry would be the English camp where we will have over a hundred non-believing, you know, atheistic mindset uh, uh, people from the Czech Republic come and we will shock and awe them with the arsenal of truths from the Word of God. We will bombard them, carpet bomb them with the Word of God uh, through small groups, English teaching times, sharing from the Word, testimonies, through uh, preaching of the Word each night. I'll be preaching at least six times uh, while I'm there. As many of you know, the Smiths have waged a faithful campaign for over nine years now, waging a warfare, not as the war wages warfare, but in spiritual terms. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.4, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to Christ. It is a spiritual warfare, an ideological warfare, um, truth versus error, Christ against this world. But 
the people of Czech Republic have proven to be under the bondage of a determined foe. Uh, Our foe has yet to let go of a vast majority of these people who have heard the gospel numerous times. Many are still in bondage, still blind and in darkness, held captive to our enemy called sin and death. Thus, they are still spiritually dead. They are still helpless in their sins. And we've partnered with the Smiths the past three years. And the Smiths have told us via phone calls, via emails, and through personal pleading, send us reinforcements. And so for the past three summers, we've sent summer teams, winter teams. And this past two months ago, a year, month and a half ago, we sent the Shims over, Dale and Joan, for 14 months to partner with them in this spiritual warfare. And now... Cornerstone is sending uh, myself and my family and eight others of our church uh, to herald the gospel this summer. Um, You know, I've heard over and over, as many of you have, that the Czech people are very close to the gospel. Peter Smith has said it's like sowing uh, seeds in cement. Uh, uh, The hearts are not open the field is not fertile to the gospel. They are mature atheists over there, right? They're faithful, diligent, and devout in their atheism. They are not half-hearted atheists. They are fervent in their atheism, passionate about secularism, and they're consistently postmodern and pragmatic in their mindset. Therefore, it has been an arduous task of ministering the gospel in that nation. Now, for the past, ever since I heard of this, ever since Peter uh, invited us, invited me, and ever since uh, the elders got together and prayerfully agreed to partner with them, I've been preparing for this mission trip, preparing for the opportunities that I have to minister the gospel. And I've asked myself, what can I do to make an impact for Christ in these people's hearts? Not just me, but I'm sure the Kazakhstan team will be heading off a week after us. The Czech team, the Orange County team, and all of you who are ministering the gospel, you've asked yourself, how can I make an impact in people's hearts, especially to those whose hearts are so closed, calloused, and hardened to the Word of God? What can we do? I think yesterday they had what that Live 8 music event four, five, six cities. They had uh, music, state-of-the-art equipment, top-name musicians, giant-sized screens televised through satellite and the Internet all over the world. They had dancing, drama, comedy, fireworks. They had celebrities and politicians, world leaders come together all for this event to make an impact for the world. What about us Christians? What should we do? What are we called to do? How can we make a powerful impact in people's lives? Well, my conclusion is this summer, with all of you, my singular goal, my determination is just to preach the gospel. Simply to preach the gospel. That's it. No dancing. No fireworks. You know, no uh, celebrities and politicians coming to the English camp to give testimonials to Christ. 
the major thrust of our ministry will be to simply preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some might wonder, that's it, James? That's all you're going to do? Aren't you going to do something spectacular? Aren't you going to slay someone in the spirit? You know, knock someone down? How about you take someone from our team and heal them while, while we're there? You know? How about uh, some spiritual experiences or spiritual powerful effects in the people there? What about bringing out your big guns, bringing out uh, apologetics, evidences from science, archaeology, and history? What about philosophical arguments? Or about testimonials of atheists and scientists who converted to Christianity? How about you go and do a marketing survey of all the Czech people and find out what part of the gospel they find offensive and carve that part out and tailor a message that will cater and appeal to these atheistic minds? Why don't you do that? Aren't you going to do that to make an impact? You're just going to preach, teach, explain the Bible? That seems foolish. And yes, it is. It does seem foolish. But that is how God is glorified. God is glorified not through our power, not through our abilities, not through methods and programs. God is pleased to be honored. God is pleased to save the, His elect. God is pleased to sanctify His people through the foolish mode of transmission called preaching. Called preaching. Many churches have a low view of preaching. They have a worldly view of the foolishness of preaching the gospel. Therefore, they have outright replaced biblical preaching with other things. Instead of biblical preaching, they have replaced it with drama. Replaced it with clips of movies during their services. Even worship dances. The marketing experts tell us that no one wants to come to churches to hear preaching. So you should minimize preaching as much as possible. And if you have to preach, change that moniker. Call it sharing. Call it testimonies. Right? Call it anything but preaching. Not only do the lost hate preaching, it is not effective. It does not work. They tell us that preaching alone is not sufficient, it's not adequate to save the lost. Many years ago, a friend challenged me on this point. He said, James, you have to be open to any and every method to save a person, whether pragmatism, evidences outside of scripture, spiritual experiences, We must save people by any means possible. Preaching the gospel alone is simply not enough. I said, no, I I disagree wholeheartedly. God's ordained means of saving His people is through preaching the Word, heralding the truth, the Word of God. And he said, okay, let me give you a scenario and and, uh, see how you respond. He said, James, what will you do if a person in your church... You preach the gospel to them and they don't believe and they reject the gospel. What will you do? I said, okay, well, I'll preach the gospel again. He said, okay, James, he's been in your church for one year. He's heard the preaching. He's heard the word of God and he still rejects it. What will you do? Right? It's not enough. You have to do something else to reach his heart. What will you do? I'll just keep preaching the gospel. Okay, after a year, he's rejected the gospel. 
His heart is not soft to preaching. Will you, what will you do then? I'll just preach the gospel. I'll just preach to him. And then he said, what then? What, what will you do? What will happen? I told him, if he continues to reject the gospel to the preaching of the word, and he dies, he'll go to hell. He goes to hell. For him, it was a non-negotiable for him to go to hell. For me, my non-negotiable is to preach the gospel. It's not my responsibility of his eternal destiny. Whether he goes to heaven or hell, that's not my responsibility. My job is to preach the gospel. If he continues to reject the gospel, proclaim to him, then he goes to hell. The man who hates the preaching of the gospel is not rejecting preaching. He's not, oh, I don't like that style. Oh, he's so dogmatic. Oh, it's so prideful. Oh, it's so harsh. It's so strong. It's not the mode that he's rejecting. He's rejecting the content. He's, not, he's rejecting the message, messenger because he's rejecting the message itself. All who love the message does not care about the packaging. Right? Does not care how it was delivered. If he loves the content of the package, right? preaching is ordained by God. God in His wisdom, God in His sovereignty ordained that this saving message of the gospel be transmitted in a particular way. Now, God had within His means many ways to transmit the gospel. I mean, He is God. He is sovereign. He is all-powerful. He could have sent angels down and declared it through His angels, which would have been powerful, to say the least. He could have changed the clouds, right? You know, on a clear day, they have airplanes go up and says, you know, I love you, Mary, or marry me, you know, uh, Jane or something, right? God could have done that with clouds, given them gospel message. And for God so loved the world, then people would, be, people would have been con- converted. He could have done all sorts of things. Uh, he could speak directly from heaven, right? Every Sunday, 9 a.m., right? We hear the voice of God speak directly the gospel of Christ, and people would hear and be converted. But for reasons known only to himself, God said, no. God said, I want this saving message to be transmitted in a particular way. And what is that way? It's for a man to stand behind the word of God and proclaim that word loudly and clearly to all who would listen. Preaching of the word is the chosen method, not by marketers, not by church elders or church councils or it's not just empty tradition. It is ordained by God Himself. Look at the Old Testament prophets. What did they do? All the way, starting from Noah, the preacher of righteousness, all the way down through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all down to the last Old Testament prophet Malachi and John the Baptist, what did they do? They preached the word. They proclaimed God's truth. When Christ came on earth, when he began his ministry, after his 30 years of preparation in Nazareth, after 40 days of fasting and temptation in the wilderness, when Jesus emerged to begin his public ministry, Matthew 4.17 declares that the first thing Jesus did was preach. 
From that time on, Jesus began to carousa, began to herald. He came as a messenger from God in the public marketplace, and he began to declare the edict, the truths of the king. In Luke 4, 43-44, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. This is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. In Matthew 10, verse 7, our Lord's first assignment to his disciples was what? To go. Go into all the towns, all the villages, enter every synagogue, and to anyone who will listen, preach the good news of the kingdom. After our Lord's resurrection, death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit is sent. The, the, the apostles, disciples gathered together in Jerusalem had received power from on, from on high to be, to be martyrs, to be witnesses of Christ as promised in Acts 1a. And what did Peter do? With the power of the Holy Spirit, he preached. He proclaimed the gospel. Every time someone was healed, they considered that as a way, a platform for pre- preaching. They didn't focus on the miracle. They didn't gather people around on the miracle and ask them to worship and praise them. No, every time someone was healed, it gave them an opportunity, a platform for the gospel of Christ. And they preached. Jesus 10.42, the apostles said that Jesus commanded us to preach to the people. Apostle to the Gentiles, Paul understood this. He understood it after his salvation. After God saved him, the first thing he did was to preach. Galatians 1.23 they heard the report about Paul and they said, the man who formerly persecuted us, what is he doing? He is preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Paul described God's call and purpose in his, for his life in this way. 1 Timothy 2.7 For this I was appointed as a preacher. That was his self-identity. He was a preacher of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.17 He's not... Here, uh, marginalizing baptism in any way. He's not neglecting ordinance that Christ himself submitted under Christ was baptized as well. He ordained baptism to the churches. But he puts baptism in its rightful place. At the central practice of God's people and the church is not baptism. The high point of the service is not baptism as well. But it's preaching. That's why Paul said... Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16 He said, Woe to me! May God judge me if I do not preach the gospel. Think about that. While Paul was in Corinth, the Jews wanted signs. They had heard that Paul was a miracle worker. That he was going around healing people, casting out demons even supposedly raising people from the, from the dead. The Jews were gathered around these, uh, influenced by mysticism and Gnostic, pre-Gnosticism, gathered around wanting to see signs from Paul. The Greeks, they were secularists. They didn't, they didn't believe in miracles. They wanted wisdom. They wanted Paul to argue. They wanted to get into a debate. 
Paul resolved, no, I'm not going to give you signs. I'm not going to give you arguments from the philosophers. I have a short time, and what will I do? I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach Christ and Him crucified and that alone. Why? Because it is God's ordained method, and therefore it is the effective method. It is the powerful method. It is the way that God has ordained not to preach out of infertility where you will preach and no one will be saved. No, God has ordained it that through your preaching the lost will be saved. God's people will be built up, will be edified. Biblical preaching is always powerful, always life transforming, always relevant throughout the world. And that is the faith with which I go to Czech Republic. I've preached the gospel in Russia, in Japan, in Korea, in Kazakhstan, in the Czech Republic, in Ireland, and it has always been relevant. It has always been powerful. I've preached in churches where there were a thousand people gathered together, and I've preached in churches where there were two people gathered together. It matters not when I open the Bible and declare its truths. It's always powerful. I've preached at a prayer meeting with eager believers in a dilapidated apartment. And at the same time, I've preached at a church with a, a modern LCD projection screen where they projected my face I didn't know until it was over. Right? In a big giant screen afterwards. I sat down after preaching and said, Jesus, did you know they put your face in that big projection screen? I had no idea. Why didn't they tell me right, that I would have been more you know, mindful of, of how I was preaching. But regardless, whether in a uh, dilapidated apartment with one light bulb or in a modern state-of-the-art church, when the Bible was preached, it was always powerful. God's Word is always powerful and always a joy. Donald Whitney said this, Regardless of how inefficient some may think preaching is in our technological mass media society, regardless of how much more exciting or entertaining or even successful other methods may appear, the most effective way of communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ is still through the means God was pleased to choose, means of preaching. James Montgomery Boyce said, the church has to rediscover who God is, come to know Him and fellowship with Him, the avenue for that has always been Bible exposition and teaching. There is no shortcut. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I did not look for any other means of converting men beyond the simply preaching of the gospel and opening of men's ears to hear it. The moment the church of God shall despise the pulpit, God will despise her. It has been this way the ministry of preaching, that the Lord has always been pleased to revive and bless His churches. Preaching is God-ordained and hated by this world. But for believers, it is our joy. It is our treasure. Unbelievers, because they hate God's Word, they don't want to read it. They don't even want it in any public place. They see it in the courtroom and they want to get rid of it and they just passed a law 
that it's illegal to have the Ten Commandments in a courthouse. Unless it's a historical site. Other than that, they have decided to remove it. They hate the Word of God. Wherever they find it, they want to to get rid of it. And so they hate coming to church and to hear someone preach the Word of God. To, To bring it out of its pages and give it life and declare it for all to hear. Unbelievers hate it. But for believers, is it not our joy? Is it not our joy to hear God's Word preached? I was talking to a brother a while ago. He was telling me how he looks forward to Sunday mornings. How he loves Sunday mornings. And he says, I love time of praise. Time of singing is a joy as well. But right before we open the Bible... And the pastor preaches the word of God. He says, I want to stand up and shout. I want to stand up and scream because the word of God is about to be preached. Because God is about to speak and God is about to speak to me. That is the heart of every preaching, every believer, because he loves the word of God, loves biblical preaching. Loves the Word of God. Why? Because it is through the Word of God his soul is edified. His soul is built up. It is when the Bible is explained, explicated, the meaning, the singular authorial meaning of the Scriptures is delivered, explained, and applied to the believer's heart. His soul is encouraged. His heart expanded. His faith strengthened. That is why believers love whatever you call it, expository preaching, biblical preaching, doctrinally rich preaching, believers love it because they understand nothing else nourishes our souls, nothing else builds up our faith, nothing else strengthens and warms our hearts. Maybe when we're baby Christians, you know, young Christians, we wanted stories, you know, we wanted more illustrations, we wanted more, you know, jokes and humor. But as we grow mature in the faith, we realize, you know, that's junk food. That's like candy. That's like chocolate. It's like junk food. It's like fast food. It's high in fat content. Right? It's very sweet going down, but it's not nourishing. It's not so satisfying. You know, it, it's sweet when I hear it, but going home during that week doesn't bring weight to my Christian faith. Pastor Eric Alexander, an esteemed Scottish expositor of scripture from Glasgow, told this story. Quote, I had a young student telephone me one evening from an English city where he was studying at a university. He said, Pastor Alexander, I have just traveled two and a half hours by bus to the opposite side of the city. I have been here for eight weeks and have been around every church that I have been told about which is remotely evangelical. I have heard some marvelous music. I have been under some remarkably scintillating talks about current issues. I have listened to dialogue. I have seen drama and dancing. I have been witness to all kinds of excellent occasions of worship. But I am sitting back in this university this evening asking, will nobody in this city Feed my soul. Will no one feed my soul? This is not just in England, but it's also in Orange County as well. We had people 
visit our church and visit other churches after a while and they come back and I ask them, what's it like out there? And they said, oh, it's rough. It's a barren wilderness of truth. They've gone to church after church and they go to the website and their doctrinal statement is kosher, it's orthodox, it's biblical and they go to the church and it's a dog and pony show. It's all just a mile wide, an inch thick, inch deep. Preaching is shallow. Preaching is short. And above all, preaching is not biblical. Amos declared this in Amos 8, 11, and 12. The days are coming when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food. Not a famine for thirst for water. But a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Now notice what he said. God promised the word of God will never disappear from the earth. Until he returns, the scriptures will remain. But the famine is, there will be a famine of hearing the word of God. You will not hear the word of God preached wherever you go. No one will declare it. Amos continues in verse 12. Men will stagger from sea to sea, wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, searching to hear God's word preached. But they will not find it. Pastor Spurgeon insightfully said, Do not go. Do not go where it is all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture. Those things will neither fill anybody's stomach nor feed his soul. Go where the gospel is preached, the gospel that really feeds your soul. Go there and go often. That is the heart that we go to Czech Republic, Kazakhstan, the Orange County team. We go sent by Cornerstone Bible Church to do nothing spectacular, nothing flashy, nothing extraordinary. You ask us, what did you guys do while you were there? Just preach the gospel. You just declared God's truth to everyone who would hear because believers don't understand that that is how God will be glorified through the saving of the lost. Let me give you just a few closing thoughts and applications. First of all, ask you to pray for preachers to pray for those who teach the Word of God. We need your prayers. Someone asked Spurgeon the secret to his ministry, and he said, my people pray for me. That's the secret. My people pray for me. Pastors of Cornerstone, elders, flock shepherds, we want to be able to say that. We want to be able to say that as God blesses our ministry, blesses our people. We want to say the secret to our ministry is that our people pray for us. Do you want to hear better preaching? I know you do. I do. Right? You, do not have, you do not have because you do not ask God. Ask and you will receive. Go to the Lord and ask God and petition God and intercede on our behalf. This is Piper's Confession said, most of our people have no idea what two or three new messages a week 
or a weekly teach. I'm adding this, or a weekly teaching or leading a flock as per a lay leader cost us in terms of intellectual and spiritual drain. Not to mention the depletions of family pain, church decisions, and imponderable theological and moral dilemmas. I, for one, am not our self-replenishing spring. My bucket leaks even when it is not pouring. My spirit does not revive on the run. End quote. Because my people have no idea how difficult it is. Richard Baxter, a Puritan pastor, said the public preaching of the word requires greater skill and especially greater life and zeal than any of us bring to it. It is no small matter to stand up in the face of a congregation and deliver a message of salvation or condemnation as from the living God in the name of our Redeemer, John Stott. The pulpit is a perilous place for any child of Adam to occupy. I would agree. Therefore, pray for us. Pray for me. Second application is asking you to listen. To be a good listener. Reverently and actively listen to the Word of God that is preached. And that is worship, honoring to the Lord. We think of worship as something we do. Something active in the sense of something external, something physical. But if the high point of the service is preaching of the Word of God, and whether it's me or a guest speaker or one of our pastors or elders, if the high point is preaching in the highest form of worship, then your responsibility, your highest point, your highest responsibility is to listen to that preaching. Listen, if God is speaking through biblical preaching, then how do you honor God? By listening. Right? If our parents are speaking to us, how do we respect them? By listening to them. How do you disrespect them? How do you dishonor them? By not listening to them. J.I. Right? Packer said, congregations never honor God more than by reverently listening to His Word with a full purpose of praising and obeying Him once they see what He has done and is doing and what they are called to do. It is that old illustration of Mary and Martha. Martha was busy serving, trying to prepare a meal for Christ and His disciples. And Mary, what was she doing? She was sitting at the feet of Christ, listening to Christ. And when Martha complained, Lord... Here I am serving, doing all these things, serving you and your disciples. Will you rebuke Mary and ask her, tell her to help me? And Christ said, Martha, Martha, you're doing many things. But what Mary is doing is the right thing. It's the admirable thing. It's the one thing that is honoring me. Will you listen to the Word of God? You know, I would contend that this is the... One, maybe main reason for a Christian's lack of growth. And we preach the Word of God week in and week out. We're going through the Gospel of John, finishing on John 16. Some of you, you know, I hear. You guys are growing. You're convicted. The study of Genesis. God is expanding your heart, convicting your soul. You're making decisions in your life, resolutions where you are changing. Others, 
There's no change. You're, you're plateauing in your Christian walk. In fact, you're falling astray. What is the reason for that? Is it because of you know, person's ability, person's skill, person's giftedness? No, I believe there's a direct correlation between a person's Christian maturity and how good a listener he is. One's faith is directly related, I believe, to their commitment and to their ability to listen. If I were to summarize that, a good Christian is a good listener. A good listener is a good Christian. A poor listener cannot be a good Christian. And if you are a poor Christian, then one reason is you are a poor listener. It's not true. Right? What's a wife's biggest complaint towards a husband? He doesn't listen. Right? If he listens, you'd be a good husband. What's the biggest complaint? Husband towards wives. She doesn't listen to me. Right? She wants to just share, but she won't listen to my heart. Among siblings, you know, parents to children, right? What do you say? If only my child would listen, listen to me. Good student, good leader, so much is bound to just listening. Salvation, sanctification, grace, maturity. What about friendships? Who is a good friend? A good friend is someone who listens to you and understands. Right? You know, we have this, like, um, you know, elders and pastors, we get together, and we hear from our wives as well. And we hear about, yeah, I met with this guy for counseling, for discipleship. Our wives would say, oh, I met this girl for fellowship and counseling and discipleship. And one sentence tells us how that time went. And Bob comes to me and says, he's a good listener. He listened well. Say no more, Bob. I say no more. I know. It was a good time. Encouraging time. A mutually beneficial time, especially for that brother. But if Bob comes to me and says, not a good listener, doesn't listen, I couldn't really say anything because I'm not a good listener, full of pride. Say no more, Bob. Right? Right? You know how the rest of the time went. It wasn't a productive time. It wasn't a God-honoring time. The Bible says again and again the importance of listening. Book of Proverbs. It's all about listening. Right? Solomon to his son. Proverbs 1.5, listen. Proverbs 1.8, listen, my son. Listen to your father's instructions. Proverbs 4.8, listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Throughout the whole book of Proverbs, it's all about listening. Ecclesiastes 5.1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near. Why? Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. Isaiah 1.10, Isaiah begins his 66 chapters in his book, Prophecy. And he starts verse 10. Listen. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. When Christ came and He was baptized in Matthew 3, also in Matthew 17:5, God said, This is my beloved Son whom I love. What did He say? Listen to Him. Listen to my Son. Acts 2.14, Peter stood up. And he told the people gathered there, listen people to what I have to say. 
Acts 2.22, Acts 3.22, Acts 13.16, Acts 26.3, Apostle Paul, before the rulers of Rome, he said, patiently listen to me. Listen to me, I beg of you patiently. Book of James says that five times the word listen. James 1.19 My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Second application is come to the church to listen, to flock, meet with your leaders, time with your parents, go there to listen. Third application is love preaching of God's word more than Christian service. Love ministry of God's word more than Christian word. That should be a hunger. That should be our thirst with which we come to church on Sunday mornings. Where we have this appetite for the scriptures, appetite to hear the word of God, not an appetite to do something, not an appetite for ministry, not an appetite even to sing. To speak to God, to testify to one another. Our highest appetite ought to be, must be the Word of God. Again, it's that Mary and Martha's illustration. We should love the preaching of the Word more than even singing. I was at a college camp a while ago. First night, there was a girl at the back of the row and during praise time she was just singing she was clapping you know my wife and she was almost half dancing she was so excited for the spirit I'm like praise God what a pumped up group let's go and preach the word I went up there let's open the Bible as soon as I said let's open the Bible she fell asleep the whole service I said amen she woke up we sang a song she was up there again singing like praising God I go okay maybe she's tired first night Next morning, same exact thing. She was like singing, hands up, you know, praising God. So open the Bible. She fell asleep. That's not to be. Our our highest appetite ought to be for the Word of God and leads us to our next application. Number number four, I believe. Do not fall asleep during the sermon. (laughs) Do not fall asleep. Right? Except for your moms out there, it's okay. You know, with little ones, infants give you a special dispensation, right? Other than that, do not fall asleep because it is not an appropriate time for a nap. You know, a poor listener will miss maybe 25% of the message of the Word of God, but they'll get 75. You know, a really bad listener will at least get 50%, right? Maybe, you know. But if you're sleeping, you miss 100%, right? 0%. Of the Word of God. This is a holy hour. You know, you can fall asleep during movies. It's okay. No problem. Watching sports, you know, watch World Series, you fall asleep. That's all right. It's good, right? But to waste holy hour, to waste unholy hour in a sense, secular hour, or fall asleep at work, that's going to be understandable, right? But holy hour, to fall asleep during this time, is not right. It's not right. I understand it can be difficult at times. Right. We go verse by verse, and sometimes at times it can be difficult. So knowing how difficult it is, go to bed early on Saturday night. Uh, 
sit in the front row, sit towards the front where there's less distraction. Right? You know, if you have a hard time, stand up in the back so that your physical posture will grant you alertness. Right? You know, sprinkle water on your face. Right? Any means necessary. Right? Hear the word of God. Just two more. Um, be committed to, to uh, live worship. Right? Live worship for the first time in the life of our church. We have believers that are frequently and regularly missing Sunday worship. When we were a smaller church, we had greater accountability. And people came on Sundays. They believed in the importance that we are not to just hear the Word of God alone, but it's important to hear the Word of God corporately with one another together. And so people had a high commitment to God's Word. And they scheduled vacations around Lord's Day. They scheduled work around Lord's Day. They scheduled other things. Even though people were ill or uncomfortable or difficult, they were committed to the Lord's Day. But with the growth of the church and less accountability, we have people easily and frequently missing Sunday worship. And their mindset is, oh, I'll download it on the website. I'll listen to the CD. Right? I'll get it uh, later here on my drive to work, drive home from work, fighting through traffic. No. God's will is for us to come together, not neglect meeting together as as habit among the saints and to hear the word of God that's preached at this moment together with fellow Christians. That's the ideal way. I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to CDs, we shouldn't download sermons, but the ideal way is for us to gather together and have the spiritual meal together as a church family. And then finally, Listen to preaching to obey. That is the way to honor uh, God's ordained way of disseminating the gospel. It's not just being good listeners, right? What does it mean to be a good listener? You follow through and you resolve in your heart, resolve in my heart to hear the word of God and to respond in obedience. That's the way to encourage pastors. That's the way you encourage me. People come to me all the time. Pastor James, how can I encourage you? Right? You know, you've encouraged me so much. How can I encourage you? And really, for all the elders, pastors, shepherds here, flock leaders, you, your obedience encourages us. There's no greater joy as, as servants of the church to see you walking in the, in the, in the faith, walking in the law of the Lord. How great is that? Right? How great is that that we have this great privilege to hear the Word of God without any payment? It's free. Right? We can buy and eat without any payment. And by hearing the Word of God, by obeying it, we're saved. We grow in our faith and we become servants of Most High God. How great is our God knowing that privilege of a high view of preaching, high view of listening, the mindset to obey. It is amazing to us to consider 
that you gave your truth in Logos form, Lord. You gave us truth in word, in a book, and your words, your truth, Lord. I, yourself indeed is, is uh, contained within the pages of this book. And that if we would only read, listen, and obey, Lord, you promise us that we will be united to you. We would conform to your image and become like Christ in every way, fully attaining to the full measure of Christ's likeness. Lord, we confess and ask for your forgiveness, for we have set our hearts on things uh, apart from your word. Oh God, may we cherish the scriptures more than our daily bread. May we esteem our time and the word together as a church family above all things. Also that uh, you will receive all the glory and honor as we see people being saved, as we ourselves grow in, in holiness and righteousness you receive all, all the glory because of the foolishness of preaching, the limitations of preaching. We would say, your word did it. Your word did it all first to last. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to establish the pulpit, mighty and strong here at Cornerstone, and that in this house of the believers, Lord, your word would be heralded faithfully, passionately, and clearly, and that your bride would be pure, devoted to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.